On this week's podcast, we're going to talk about investor deception. How are investors persuaded to make an investment based on representations or things that the offering of the security, the offerer, the seller of the stock maintains? Why does this keep happening and what are some lessons we can learn? That's this week in the Persuasion Lab. Welcome to the Persuasion Lab podcast. I'm Martin Medeiros, expert negotiator. Unfortunately, the world isn't made to your specifications in all ways at all times, which means you need to be able to communicate your wants and needs so you can get them met. I'm here to teach you the tools and strategies so that you can do exactly that. Stay tuned after the episode for more information about the fully outfitted Digital Persuasion Lab or head over to thepersuasionlab.com to get started. Well, thanks for joining me this week in the Persuasion Lab. We're going to talk about investor fraud uh, because this keeps happening. It's in the headlines all the time. And for those of you, again, this isn't a legal broadcast, but just the law or the Securities Act of 1933 and 34. After the uh, uh, Great Depression, uh, a lot of fraud people, uh, promising people, parts of the blue sky. Uh, that's where we get our blue sky laws on the state level. Basically, fraudulent things, Ponzi schemes, investments that cannot have a future based on representations in offering documents such as a public offering document or a document called a private placement memorandum or PPM. Things that are said in that can lead people to invest. Uh, the roadshow. And this is beyond mere what they call puffery, which is, you know, saying, oh, this is such cool, slick technology. But when you start making claims that there's a financial benefit or expectation of benefit that's outsized beyond what the representation is, or if it's in the least bit non factual, you run the risk. So, how to avoid being an issuer of fraudulent securities or a victim is what we're going to talk about. And I'm going to give you a few rules of thumb and talk about the psychological operations that persuade us. Now, level set. Well, what is a good investment? Uh, to me, uh, you know, anything that 6% is great, you know, all things being equal, low inflation, 10% is awesome. When you start hearing representations beyond that, um, certainly stock markets can go wild and turn 20%. Real estate can do the same, but that is anomalous. I always, I've been watching this for years. When you start getting uh, consistent 20% returns, that's generally a bubble market that will come down. Now, if it's a new technology, new paradigm, new market, sure, you can get multiples. And you hear investors talk about, oh, this is a 2x, that's two times annual revenue. For example, if the business was making $20 million a year, a 2x would be $40 million a year 
is as a valuation, so it would be twice. Um, you generally get higher valuations for hard asset companies, less so for service companies. Service companies where it's time materials or it's based on them constantly selling uh, to new clients, um, those generally have a 1x valuation if you're being sold. Um, but we've seen 5, 10x uh, valuations, but at the end of the day, that is not the rule. Especially for a pre-revenue startup, a company that hasn't sold anything, and it's truly speculative. If you have a lot of really smart people making great forecasts, then you can get outsized valuations. And this happened to companies like Apple and Tesla. In the long term, things worked out. But there are many other companies, and we'll talk about some of them, where this speculation was built on a foundation of lies. In the PersuasionLab.com, our digital platform, we talk about or we present research on gender and what that means. And one important thing is the idea of gender actually matters in this. Uh, but I'm going to be presenting two different genders, people who identify as male and female, who are uh, at least been, have been alleged to have offered um Securities based on lies, but author Gavin De Becker, who wrote the book *Gift of Fear*, cites a lot of research on psychologically how we assess risk and uh, go beyond our gut feeling. And he has really solid research on genders, where uh, males generally are goal-focused, not on the odds. Women tend to look at odds, risk avoidance, what's the most likely path to get to a result. And De Becker puts a lot of emphasis on this. And, and one, one um, uh, amusing anecdote he has to do, he, he explains is that movie Dumb and Dumber where the, uh, the uh, I think the Jim Carrey character says, so... I don't have any chance with you. He's trying to have a relationship with a woman. And she says, maybe, you know, not one in a million. And then he's elated. He says, I still have a chance. And that is, I hate to stereotype, but that's the way a lot of males think. If there is a chance on getting that platinum ring, forget about br brass ring, that really high payoff, they will be so gold-focused, they will not look at the odds. According to De Becker, he cites case after case where women really look at odds. They generally play to their strengths. Uh, guys play to their dreams. And he talks about that being a gender difference. And when I thought about it, I think there's something to that. Um, some of the uh, studies he, he cites are pure reviewed which actually gets my attention so uh, that's a little bit of uh, a, you know identity thing where eh, it could be something there I'm not too sure but regardless uh, goals have got to be tempered by odds if someone has tried to build a flying car do you think the 538th attempt will work yeah it could it could work but we've had a lot of you know, Jetson-type flying cars, uh, and 
they just haven't been sellable. Now we're seeing things with you know autonomous vehicles and different uh, battery technologies. Those things you know, may work out, but here's some of my rules of thumb. What are the five things that really are not going to make a ton of money or have a very high road? What I call stable physics. If you're dealing with mass, energy, velocity, as we know it, and new configurations, it's really hard to get more than incremental benefit. So if you're looking for, oh, this is going to change everything, you know, one word, plastics, yeah, it all depends. Like nuclear fusion, I think, would be a total game changer for humanity. And right now, if you subscribe, if you're one of my followers on LinkedIn, you know I, 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 I'm kind of a uh, fusion groupie. It's basically sun in a bottle. Um, it has, it's a, essentially a, a clean, very powerful way to uh, generate energy. And now we're getting some breakthroughs, but that's like 30 years out. It's And quite frankly, people would think, oh, it's always been 30 years out. It has, but now there's some new methods that they think they can uh, stabilize it. And if you read that article in my feed, you'll, you'll see. Um, other than that, stable physics, it's not going to happen. Stable chemistry uh, isn't going to change things. And my examples today are, you know, the Nikola uh, car uh, that was once that company was once valued at more than Ford Motor Company. Uh, sadly, the the CEO has been indicted, as has the uh, CEO of Theranos that did kind of uh, lab results for therapeutics in a in a box, basically diagnostic work in a box, and uh, uh, that CEO has been indicted, and I think the trial is going on. I think they had jury selection. Uh, uh, it's either imminent or a few weeks back. Long story short is, um, okay, human uh, uh, human chemistry has not changed that much. You would have to have really breakthrough technology to make that work. And if it sounds too good to be true, for example, getting a very tiny, tiny mass of a blood sample to run all these diagnostic tests, that is very difficult to pull off. And that was the Theranos story. So too, Nikola, the car manufacturer, um, we have a lot of market entrance in that space, electric cars. Uh, battery density, lithium is a stable chemistry. There are some breakthroughs that are happening every year, but those are available to everyone else. I don't think lithium ion battery energy density is gonna radically change. Uh, that won't be available to some companies and others. Uh, and, you know, electric car companies are, it's a fairly simple model. It's a, it's a shell of a car on a uh, motor and a battery with very few moving parts. It's a, the, the costs of entry, uh, market entry, is another point I want to make. Stable physics, stable chemi uh, chemistry, uh, cost of market entry is another thing. If the cost of market entry is low, you're probably you know, claims about taking everything away, um, probably difficult. And the fourth thing I have to say is if there's no 
really radical intellectual property in the portfolio of the company. And what's intellectual property? Well, these are creative content, which is copyright, say movies or something. Um, innovative content, which are patents, uh, things that are useful, not obvious, that do something. Um, a runaway brand that everyone sees, that would be a trademark, or something secret, some secret sauce, that's a trade secret. So if there's really no intellectual property that is uh, tangible in some way, uh, it's unlikely that you can exclude others in your marketplace, which kind of speaks to the low barrier to entry. And, and these four points are about gut check. This isn't about, hey, avoid all securities. Don't have these. I'm not saying that. I'm not giving investment advice. I'm not giving legal advice or financial advice. I'm just saying it's hard to have a company without a number of positive things. And we get excited. I get excited about new companies and I want to invest in them. But you have to think about, well, what's being said now? Where do they get their money? We certainly know people who have used illegal enterprises to fund other things. You know, think of DeLorean um, and embezzlement. And and shout out to Kelly Paxton, the pink collar crime lady. On um, that has to do with stealing funds. This is not about that. This is about making promises on selling something that doesn't happen because it really can't, and you know it. So to be convicted of one of these, you know, securities frauds thing, you either have to have really reckless disregard for the truth or you almost have to, uh, well, you have to lie. You have to know it's not so and say it is. That's that's when you start getting big 25-year sentences. Um, so, you know, the and these are very important things to do as an investor and as an issuer, you want to ask questions. And if you have a question, you've got to disclose it. You know, I've drafted PPMs, I've drafted uh, some of these documents, and uh, the offeror always says, no one's going to buy in this because the stuff you put in, you know, things could go wrong sideways, five ways till Tuesday. Yeah, that's what you have to disclose. In a disclosure document, you kind of have to say everything that could go wrong that could undermine the investment. For example, if I'm, you know, old economy doing a new, well, hey, here's a great oil field I found, have a new company to drill oil because we still need diesel and other things. Um, what's that going to, uh, here's the offering. Well, in the disclosure document, I'm going to say, well, Alternative energy could make this technology obsolete, or the price of petroleum could drop so low that pulling that oil out of the ground wouldn't be financially viable. Those are things that investors would want to know. Whenever you're buying, you want to know. If you're, you know, on on any level. So, um, basically, these securities, which is basically the right to something in an expectation of profit you have got to disclose when things can go sideways. And if you don't, if you overdo the rosy scenario, collectively those representations can lead to a charge of securities fraud. In the case of Theranos, Elizabeth Holmes 
a 19-year-old wonder child. I mean, this person, very confident, standard. Uh, she got into Stanford, uh, really smart, the right presentation, kind of right Silicon Valley vibe. But there were things that were trying to be accomplished that just ran up against physical chemistry. Uh, Mr. Milton of Nikola, uh, this is kind of a head-to-head -head with Tesla, because Nikola Tesla, the AC current innovator, um, really uh, was not able to deliver the resources in a crowded market. So the CEO, Trevor Milton, was held to be... Um, not held, but was, is accused of this type of securities fraud when, uh, again, it's a crowded market. So those are some of the things that get individuals in trouble. And, you know, after Sarbanes-Oxley, a lot of these CEOs have much higher liability. They really have to sign off on financials and, and whatnot when they get to the public um, uh, publicly traded stage. So there's a lot of skin in the game. And if you're an issuer of a securities, you've got to know that persuading people on extraordinary things, extraordinary returns, and get them to invest in you is something that you have to do under extreme caution and with the advice of legal counsel. That is today's episode of the Persuasion Lab. Thank you for listening. Thanks so much for listening. If you haven't yet, please hit subscribe and leave a review and a rating so other folks can find the podcast. And, of course, the fully outfitted Digital Persuasion Lab is open and ready for all your negotiation experiments. If you head over to thepersuasionlab.com, you'll find tools like strategic plan assessments, deal point checklists, operational considerations, scripts for specific types of negotiations, and access to exclusive personal consultations.